Hey everyone, hope you're having a really amazing Sunday evening. This is Jordan Shaktel with the Dossier Podcast. I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Swan Bitcoin. Go to swanbitcoin.com, best Bitcoin exchange in the world. And um, as you know, I'm a huge supporter of Bitcoin and super happy to have this partnership. Go to swanbitcoin.com. You can buy Bitcoin with the lowest fees, best security. Um, I really enjoy that company. So please support them. Anyway, so happy Sunday, everyone. And today I kind of just wanted to do, last week I did this kind of like open format, ask me anything situation um, to try to drive more people to the call-in app because I think it's great. And um, the partners at call-in are awesome. And create your own call-in show too if you like this format. I I like the idea of kind of like a, a hybrid talk radio slash podcasting setup. This podcast is available, by the way, on Spotify and iTunes, I think, or Apple Podcasts at a later date. Um, so you just type this in on your podcasting app and it should show up. Um, but yeah, I kind of just wanted to do an open forum to discuss the state of clown world because it's totally insane these days. Um, <laughs> there's there's so much going on with this um especially here in the United States that just speaks to like this controlled demolition of American society. And I, I guess I'm guilty of this getting sucked into all this Ukraine narrative stuff, which is largely just a distraction. Um, but I think it's important to, it, it provides important clarity with what we're dealing with these days. Um, so I did a little bit and feel free to, you know, comment, whatever, or, or call in, but I did a little bit of a, ask me anything on Twitter and I told people I'd answer them, um, on the call in app. So I'll read through a few of these and let's see what we're dealing with. So Ryan Siminski says, how would you predict things look five years from now? Well, A five-year time horizon is difficult, but I I think that there will be troubled times and also bright times in the United States in the next five years. Um, I I hope to see a future where we separate um, enormous aspects of the economy from the state through technology such as Bitcoin, through our decentralization movements. I hope that state power dramatically is decreased five years from now. And I think that is, uh, I I think that that will happen eventually. Um, The state is in the process of attempting massive power grabs, as we saw the last couple of years through the COVID mania and through other means um, with this extremely authoritarian agenda that presents itself in this like globalist, liberalist, progressive um, bumper sticker talking points. But they're certainly pursuing the power grab. And to me, it speaks of a desperation to be recognized as legitimate. And there are tens of millions, if not over 100 million Americans right now who do not um, 
interpret our current ruling administration as a very legitimate entity. Um, some people believe that that would be through the electoral process. Others just think of them as a bunch of like scamming, corrupt con artists, which would make them illegitimate as well. But I think that faith in our system of governance is completely lost. And it, it, that, is the, that is the right call, in my view, that they, there's a reason why nobody supports, well, at least no rational mind supports the expansion of state power coming from Washington, D.C. You know, regardless of your politics, it should be obvious at this point that the elite ruling class system is so broken beyond measure that these people cannot have more power. Um, but right now they're in the process of trying to usurp as much power as possible um, through these military boondoggles, through this, you know, central bank digital currency project where they're going to try to, while, you know, at the same time there are elements that are trying to decentralize the, the economy, there are feds who are trying to bring everything under the control of the federal government. And that's kind of like a natural reaction um, due to the state of the Republic right now. So I, I think we're in for some five years from now, we will probably be experiencing lots of hard times and lots of good times. Maybe the departure from the hard times to the good times, but certainly in this like chaotic state, um, you know, it makes me in a, in a weird way uh, bullish about the future in America because this kind of stuff needs to happen for these regi regimes to be delegitimized. They need to make total fools of themselves. Um, so, yeah, I'm optimistic about the power centers moving away from D.C. Um, okay, someone, Mark Naughton asks, when are you coming on our pod? Uh, whenever. Keith Shaney asks, how can the general public respond to this leadership nonsense? It doesn't even concern them anymore. If we know what's going on, nothing will happen. It's time for something to change before it's too late. They are driving this ship straight into an iceberg. Um, yeah, yeah, they're driving the ship into the iceberg. And you shouldn't rely on politicians in Washington, D.C. to try to avoid that iceberg. I think it doesn't matter who you elect as president of the United States in 2024, whether that's Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump on the Republican side or Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats are going to run. Um, I don't think we're in a position right now where the feds are going to fix things. Um, it's like it, it, the analogy is like you have an extremely um, broken uh, structure. It, it, your, your home is a broken structure. There's mold everywhere. There's fires randomly starting and you have no control over anything. And you think like, oh, you know, like I'll just like walk around and things will kind of sort themselves out and the, the house will fix itself. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> so the general public can respond to this leadership nonsense by um, not being so focused. Well, I, I suppose you can elect people who will do a slightly better job, but the solution isn't on the federal level. I'm, I'm fully convinced of that. So if you want to change, stop focusing so much on Mitch McConnell, um, worry about your school board, and 
worry about your town council uh, spending too much money on whatever sewage department is, is, is getting all of your tax money, like things like that. Um, start local and then go from there. And then you can organize on a local level. Hannah Miller asks, is NATO corrupt? I wouldn't describe NATO as corrupt. I would describe NATO as kind of like a mafia or a cartel. Um, it's a protection racket. So NATO was founded to, um, you know, to, to stop the, the Russians, the Soviets, from expanding into Europe and posing a threat. Um, the Soviet Union is now long gone. If NATO were to be reprioritized to engage with the China threat, I would be more open to the idea that NATO should exist, maybe as like a trade partnership or something like that. But NATO really is just like a military cartel. They have their own branded weapons and apparatus. And there's an enormous amount of money spent by the defense, um, the, the American taxpayer to finance all this stuff. And NATO kind of perverts the geopolitical chessboard. Um, I'm very much a realist in international affairs. And the idea that a country with a million people, a country like Estonia, should be like flexing on, on, a, on a superpower like Russia is, is insane to me. And it, it goes to show that things are, are way off um, with the geopolitical reality is not actually presenting itself right now because this NATO effect is, is creating like an aggressive entity that is, I think, more so acting as a destabilizing agent. And if you're a European power, it may seem like a good idea to join NATO. And then like you end up being a country that invests in all these windmills and solar panels. And now you have no economy left. Um, in Germany, there's been this fascinating energy crisis because they went so hard with the green energy stuff. And part of the reason, well, maybe Germany is not a good example because I'm not necessarily convinced that Germany should rebuild its military. But any other country that has invested in these green scams, um, they've gotten away with it because they, they didn't have to invest any money into their military because they know they have this umbrella for NATO. And I think one of the reasons, so, so NATO is an aggressive entity. It has expanded from Western Europe to Eastern Europe in a matter of decades, but it's also kind of forced um, behavior through adversaries to NATO. So the Russians too. So NATO's a complex thing, but I, I view NATO as more of a, a cartel um, that's forcibly funded by the American taxpayer. And I don't think it's necessarily beneficial. Um, even if you're a small country in Europe, um, because it, it, it just, there's too many uh, stipulations that come with NATO membership. And it's really a useless um, entity at this point, And it's damaging and corrupts the geopolitical chessboard. So that's how I view it. Um, someone asks, how is using the scientific method, do they provide the long-term safety 
of a vaccine with a short-term study? Um, I think <laughs> the, the question really is, are these mRNA, are mRNA vaccines, is there enough trial evidence to show that they are um, safe and effective? And I think the answer is obviously no. Um, that's just the reality. It, even if I was a, and I'm not a proponent of the mRNA vaccines, I'm antagonistically against these vaccines. But even if I was a proponent of them, proponents of them should still acknowledge that there's no long-term data on the mRNA shots. Um, but somehow they just dismiss this and label them safe and effective. So that's kind of a major red flag. So I, I, I think the mRNA is a mess. And, and I've been reporting in the dossier uh, the past couple of weeks. I wanted to focus on, on this specific item because I don't think that the press is covering it at all. And it's super important is that the, the mRNA shots, the Pfizer Moderna, uh, as they are structured. Here, let me take Vin. Hey, Vin, what's going on? Hey, uh, sorry, I didn't want to cut off your point you were making, but... Um, oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I live, I kind of live all over the place. I live in Canada, um, but I, I'm ex increasingly trying to escape. I used to live in the U.S. I live part-time in Africa as well. That's where I am right now, in East Africa. But um, where Canada is the kind of the, the, the rumor, which... It pretty much seems like it's going to happen is that they're going to uh, start mandating the booster for travel because right now they just lifted the mandates for uh, unvaccinated people are now able to leave their own country, amazingly enough. Um, but I, the rumor is that in the fall, they're going to bring this all back. But I, I guess my question to you is, what do you think the breaking point is? Because the, the data at this point is undeniable. I mean, you can quibble about, yeah, okay, the, you know, the safety profile and we can quibble here and there. But the data in terms of it's garbage on transmission, on even symptomatic reduction, it's not that great. I mean, you've done really good reporting is why I'm actually in here. But what you think, what do you think is the breaking point in terms of where it just becomes undeniable? Because I understand they're trying to... Um, they're trying to cover up their steps as much as they can, but there's got to be a point where the dam breaks open. Now, I'm just wondering where you think that is. Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, then I'm just going to put you on mute because there's a lot of backgrounds um, on your um, on your mic. But I, I think that it, this is more so like a human psychology question about what is the breaking point. Certainly, I agree with you that the evidence is is there that the shots don't work. There is no real maybe if you were to engage in an academic debate, the only legitimate fields for debate would involve the very early days when the shots just came out and when this Wuhan strain was being detected. But right now, there's no the, the evidence all points to a, a dead shot that can only really cause harm. And there's all these unknowns about these antibody spikes and what that is actually 
preventing, if anything, and what are the long-term ramifications from the reboosting effect and whatnot. So I think that, you know, I was caught by surprise because I thought that people would rebel against this stuff much sooner. Um, and there still really hasn't, well, in Canada, you had that big truckers protest, but I thought that after 15 days to stop the spread, people would have had enough. So I don't really know what the answer is there, but, um, it's, um, I I guess it it just remains an open question right now. I, I, I agree with you that like things are way out of control and these shots, um, it's it would be you have to be so propagandized at this point to believe that they're like life-saving tools yeah if i have to hear um you know i'm oh i'm sick with covid but <laughs> um I, you know i'm really sick but i'm glad i got the booster it could have been worse one more time i don't even know what i'm gonna do but it's it's um i think part of it is it's psychological in terms of the amount of people who how far they fell into it that it's like you don't admitting that you were wrong the whole time at this point i'm not even talking about you know the people in power i'm just talking your average person who's gone along with this i i think that's the biggest point is you no one wants to admit they were played or no one wants to admit that you know they were brainwashed or whatever you want to call it call it um, I mean, clearly there's PSYOP that has, I mean, in Canada, there was a clear PSYOP done. I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, the they actually used the army uh, w- w- and openly. There was, ar- was an expose about this uh, late last year where they used the army doing a, an actual psychological operation in terms of increasing the amount of fear on uh, regarding the virus. And that's why Canada, I know Canada got a lot of attention for the trucker protest. But I spent a good number of time there last year, and the population is incredibly subservient. You pretty much have a couple provinces that are um, maybe not as along with the narrative, but for the most part, it's everybody's incredibly subservient. And it seems any skeptical thinking around this comes from the right wing, which is pretty sad. I'm not a left-right person myself. I don't could care less, but... Um, you know, it, it, the reason I say that's sad that the skeptical thinking is basically in the right wing only is that it's easy for it to be dismissed because they just say, oh, yeah, it's just these alt-right, you know, fascists or whatever they want to say <laughs> um, that are, um, you know, making these points and we can just dismiss them. Whereas if yeah. you had more of a because uh, I think this is this is way bigger than left, right. This is I mean. This is this has fundamentally changed society in a, in so many different countries. So, um, um, but yeah, man, I I really just want to say that your reporting on this has been extremely a one. You've done a great job, and you know, just keep it up, man, because there's not many people like you so that are doing this work, and it's much much needed. Like I can't even stress how needed it is. But hopefully, we get more people waking up. Yeah, thanks. Really appreciate that, um, and I think. This um, this left-right dichotomy is interesting because um, there are have been other countries where it is tr- traditionally the left, like in Sweden, they had social democrats that were behind the whole laissez-faire approach to governance um, regarding the lockdowns. I, I think that when th- there are political indicators about if someone is going to 
support lockdowns or mandates. Um, but you're right. This authoritarian impulse comes from both, especially from the American perspective, both there's a substantial authoritarian impulse on the GOP and uh, Democrat side. And you saw that with the unanimous support for a lot of this nonsense. Um, but, but I think that for sure, those who's, who were kind of grounded in human rights and took liberty seriously, for the most part, did not betray their principles. Um, the, the folks in Washington, D.C., the, the libertarians infamously folded the, the think tankers at Cato and Reason and whatnot. But I, I think people who genuinely support um, individual rights and freedoms, they were on the money with this one. But yeah, the, the situation in Canada is horrific. And I, I talk about this, and I really appreciate the compliments. Um, and I talk about this in the dossier a little bit about you know, what exactly is the free world? We had so much we had all of these like democracy indexes prior to COVID and countries seem to respond uh, supposedly like the, the freest countries in the world in these 2019 indexes were Australia and New Zealand, both of which did not allow citizens to leave the country or really go anywhere for a significant matter of time. So it should really, the past two years should really challenge the way you think. And, and I hope that, I was able to contribute to that um, and really ex expose these weaknesses in the way that um, people perceive the world as, as a whole. Um, really thank you for your comments, Ben. But I will get to more of these questions. Let's see. We've got someone doesn't know how to use the call-in app. Um, I cannot do a tutorial on the spot, uh, but there are a lot of people, if you go on callin.com, that can probably help you with that and help you navigate that situation. Let's see. Mead Dinero says, who's dumber, people that fell for COVID hysteria or people that fell for Bcash and BSV? Um, so for those of you who aren't aware, Bcash and BSV are forks or alternatives using Bitcoin's code to Bitcoin, and they claim to be the superior thing. Um, and I don't, I, I agree with me, De Niro, that they're basically scams. Um, <laughs> I, I guess because these, um, you know, a crypto a digital asset is a little more complicated than, well, COVID hysteria has, has powerful psychological implications too. So I guess it's a tie. Um, Lorenzo asks, do you think Supreme Court decision will benefit us for midterms or hurt us? He says, there are many young Republicans that are liberal about this topic. Um, I don't really know. So the, the Roe versus Wade overturning situation, I guess he's talking about, um, I am not like a card carrying Republican. I kind of like generally despise the Republican Party because I just I, I lived in D.C. for a long time and I, I know the the hackery and it's like it's like embarrassing to 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 have like 
to to, uh, to for me it's it would be like embarrassing just to walk around saying I'm a Republican. Not that like it's not about the party label. It's about like the political implication of like prioritizing Republican v Democrat because both sides are kind of ridiculous. But um, so do I think Supreme Court decision will benefit um, Republicans in the midterms? Maybe Um, there seems to be a lot of. So this is very separate from the moral decision on the Supreme Court implications, um, which is a separate issue. But I think he's talking about the political implications. And in my view, the political implications, um, I am not convinced that it was politically advantageous for Republicans. Um, I, I think that the left is now very energized about this issues. This issue, um, again, totally separate from the moral question. Um, but I, I think that undoubtedly the left has been energized from this situation and you had really nothing for the Democrats to run on. And I think that they're just going to try to run on that. Um, so yeah, but anyway, <laughs> I think that is pretty much, I haven't identified any other questions. Let's see. Um, but yeah, so one of the other issues that I was talking about today, well, so I, I was, oh, okay. S. Hey, S. Hey. Hey. Um, yeah, Jordan, big fan. You do amazing work and, you know, keep it up. Uh, since this is an ask me anything, I kind of wanted to ask about, um, you, um, are you just currently writing for the dossier? Are you, is there any other side projects, any books or anything like that coming up? And second question, um, do you, happen to have any special relationship with uh, Colin um, in its development so much so that you made it the place where you exclusively are? No, I'm not, I'm not like affiliated with Colin. Um, I, and then for, I I occasionally write for um, publications like the Federalist, um, I've been published like everywhere throughout kind of right of center media, but I, I try to put my, my best stuff on, um, Substack. So I, I, I will be open to, I, I do still write occasionally for another publication, but it's usually just like the editor will ask me to, will kind of like reach out. Like I'll, I'll never reach out and, and pitch them on anything. Um, so yeah, Johnny, what's going on? Hey, Johnny. All right. Maybe you need to hit the mute button, but anyway, um, yeah, so I was just kind of like, and Johnny, feel free to hop in if you if you figure out if you unmute yourself. 
Um, I've been following this Biden at the G7 thing today, and I was just like, like the state of clown world right now. I'm looking at this this photo. <laughs> you have Boris Johnson, Trudeau, Macron, and a couple other prime ministers. You get the Italian prime minister, Japanese prime minister, um, who aren't as ridiculous as uh, the British, French, Canadian, and the American man in charge, supposedly. Um, And I'm thinking like, thinking about this in the context of what's going on in Russia. And then I keep reading about how Ukraine is withdrawing from all these areas. Uh, The Russian military seems to be really putting their foot on the gas in um, these these territories in Ukraine that get give them port access. And Russia seems to be winning this war convincingly, convincingly now. Um, it has become a war of attrition, but Ukrainians are getting like obliterated. And it's worth thinking about this in the context of 100 billion American and European dollars allotted supposedly to this war, you had a massive sanctions regime. You have all the intelligence of the European nations, NATO, the US, and Russia is winning. And I think like when we go back to that question of the current state of the American Republic and the Western world as a whole, you got to stop and think like, what exactly is going on here? We have people like Mark Milley, Mr. Like White Rage, in charge of an important part of the military. We have this massive military-industrial complex where they're getting all this money. And I don't know if that money is going to Ukraine or some of it's going to Ukraine, but Ukraine's getting like wrecked on the battlefield. So it's just very strange to me. And I kind of just asked an open question on Twitter. What went wrong and how do you fix it? And I think that's an important question to ponder moving forward, that it's just fascinating to me. And my view of this Russia-Ukraine situation is I don't see a real a solid moral distinction between these two entities. So I've never really like thought that the U.S. should be involved in any way. That's my bias. Um, so it's just been really interesting to me to see how this plays out, but it certainly doesn't seem to be working. Um, Joe Biden, when the sanctions regime started and the Russian ruble was plummeting, he declared victory over the economy. Remember, you had Lindsey Graham and all those folks um, celebrating what they said was the demise of the Russian economy that they were going to crush 100 million people and ruin their lives. And what has happened has been uh, what seems like the reverse. I mean, Russia has all the commodities, has all the stuff. Um, and it's just been kind of fascinating to me to see. Now the corporate press is just like totally checked out. Um, or they're just running like these same info ops for the the Ukraine moral perspective. But it's just been fascinating to me. And I think it paints a perfect picture of where we are as, as a Western civilization right now, where the, the, the 
clear objective was to bankrupt Russia financially and push Russia back militarily. And neither has been accomplished. And it seems to be getting worse. And now American taxpayers are out of $60 billion. Europeans are out of $40 billion. (laughs) All this military hardware has disappeared. And it's just like, this happened so fast. And people, I think it's it's an important issue to look at. Brady? What's up, Jordan? So what do you consider to be so clowny about the world today? Um, I mean, <laughs> I imagine Roe versus Wade might be at the top of your list, right? Well, as I was discussing for the past half an hour, <laughs> there's quite a few I topics. Jump in, man. <laughs> So, I just had a conversation with Aaron Maté about the CIA in Russia. Oh, yeah? So I How did that exactly go? I exactly what you were talking about. Um, it's pretty cool, man. We had a really good conversation. I brought up the fact that Russia actually helped us out during the Revolutionary War and the Civil War in two very cool ways. And um, so without Russia, the United States as it exists today and free from the monarchy, which in my opinion is the single greatest act we ever achieved as a country. Um, we have Russia to thank for that, you know, and um, I haven't forgotten that. And I, I just like to remind my fellow Americans of that. And I think we could rely on the help of Russian citizens to further uh, investigate and uh, maybe even eliminate the British monarchy, uh, especially starting with Prince Andrew <laughs> and his Epstein connections. So, yeah, that was a good talk. I mean, there's there's a there's a silver lining to all this uh, Roe v. Wade stuff in that um, states have more rights now, and so here in Texas we have a Green Party candidate, uh, Delilah Barrios. I interviewed her today. And her platform is rock solid. Um, if Delilah Barrios is elected as Texas governor, um, both abortion and cannabis are going to become completely legal in Texas overnight. Simple as that. So if everyone in Texas just votes green in the next election for uh, Delilah Barrios for uh, Texas governor, there's nothing they can do to stop us. Um, abortion and cannabis, both alike overnight, completely legalized in Texas. All right. Got it. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I, I think that there there is a statue of limitations for, for helping a, a nation of people. And um, I'm not familiar with the with the revolutionary history or how much the Russians um, helped. But I think it's definitely a fascinating subject matter. But I don't think that um, that compels the U.S. to be especially friendly with, um, with, with the Russians or anything like that. I think there is, um, there is needless hostility at times. And Russia is not a completely innocent party whatsoever in the hostility. I mean, both sides play these dirty intelligence games, a variety of them. Um, and of course, there's the whole, you know, Cold War, mutually assured destruction component. Um, it, it's not so easy to, for especially U.S. policymakers, to just kind of forget about, uh, especially those that served during the Cold War, to kind of just forget about um, 
the clashes with Russia. Um, so I don't necessarily, I am not convinced that, I, I think that there is definitely a way for the U.S. to um, get on board with a lot of like international free trade type of agreements involving Russia, perhaps to um, to counter the malign activities of the Chinese government. But I'm not convinced that um, that we need to like start partnering with Russia. And, and like, you know, international affairs, like alliances are always changing. I mean, remember, like China was our ally during World War II. So China doesn't seem like they want to do any favors for the United States because uh, we were with them during World War II. Um, so I, I'd be interested, though, to read about Russia's involvement in the revolutionary war um that's that's a topic that i find quite interesting and i i think reading about just the founders in general uh, brings about surprising wisdom into your everyday life similar to how like people who are strongly connected to their faith will find a passage in their religious text that offers a lot of wisdom I mean, the, the founders of the U.S. were incredibly wise. Like, they didn't, you know, they, this was <laughs> very much a pre-technology, pre-anything age. And what these folks did all day is they, like, spent time uh, reading books about philosophy and politics and economics. And that what really brought them together was this ideological perspective. And I think that's fascinating. Like, imagine today having a similar group of like-minded revolutionaries with those high standards that were willing to go to war with the um the most powerful empire in the world and surrender and sacrifice everything that they ever owned and sacrifice their lives and livelihoods it's just an incredibly brave story uh, but the founders were geniuses and Speaking of the founders or geniuses, there's a lot of implications for that debate today. Like this idea that the Second Amendment is outdated or the Constitution's outdated. Um, I, I think the founders very much understood that rights, rights last for an eternity, the unalienable human rights. Um, and what this authoritarian movement is attempting to do is to say that these rights um, have like some kind of expiration date because the, the founders or whoever was in charge of these governing documents for whichever country you live in were somehow not wise enough to have like a long lasting philosophical mindset about these things. So um, didn't want to get on much of it, that much of a tangent there. Um, in, in Texas, I don't think that your your Green Party candidate will be successful. Um, I admire the idealism, but I'm not sure there are more than... Uh, Texas is not the political environment for uh, unlimited abortion access and 
uh, I, I don't know where they are on the marijuana issue, but I think the idea that you're going to elect a Green Party candidate in a conservative state, um, it, it's a it's a bold in, endeavor, and I wish you luck. But I but I want to thank everyone else so much for coming on today, and um, I'm actually going to do a podcast on Colin tomorrow, so um, I will let you guys know the timing probably around noon. So I will see many of you there. Thanks so much.